Welcome to the Field of 12 After Dark Show, Sirius XM, ESPNU. Y'all can call me dirty from now on because I plan on getting dirty with George's ass. Let the nuts hang. I'll give you the politically non-correct answer. The lights went out. Don't worry, guys. Don't worry. It's Dabo doing the gritty. The old man, I'm screaming at kids to get off his lawn. Well, you never know what the hell is going to go on in Morgantown. You get off the bus, it smells like straight whiskey. Cheers, boys. Let's ride. Let's go. Love, love, love tonight. Come on, baby. We're going to get after a little bit. It is the Field of 12 after dark. You know the deal. Oh, we're already sipping. I like it. I like it, Clint. Christian Hackford. What, what is that, yo? We got a little kombucha. You know, you got to keep that gut health in line here. Uh, but here we are, powered by I Bet got Rivers. some gut health working out, right? Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Uh, find us on the SiriusXM app. Uh, check us out all over social media, YouTube. There's a bunch of cool stuff we're going to get to tonight. If you want some swag, want some merch, just go to fieldof68.shop. Uh, with that said, we got a lot to talk about tonight, fellas. Want to hear your thoughts. And anybody on social media, let us know your thoughts. Because it's about to be debate time. The playoff, the CFP, the meetings happen this week. I know on behalf of the Pac-12, we present on Thursday as a conference. Every conference gets to present. And then next week, we'll see those first rankings. So let the debates begin all over social media. And today, we hope to talk about a bunch of great things that I think will impact those debates. Uh, Ohio State. Upset alert, Happy Valley. Hack, of course, we're going to get your opinion on that. Clemson, that is a debate on their bye week. Who's going to be the guy, right? Is it Clay, Kate Klubnick, excuse me, the five-star recruiter, or DJ Uyunglele, the other five-star recruit? Uh, they got a lot of talent there. We'll see how that thing shakes out. And then the Pac-12. You know I'm going to go hard on the Pac-12 and the college football playoff. A lot to talk about in that regard as my assistant, my seven-year-old, just showed up in the room with the production assistant. So with that said, uh, <laughs> fellas, I want to toast tonight to something that I thought about when I saw Hack, when I first joined this party. Uh, I want to toast to the moment in college football that kind of captured us at any moment in your life. It could be this year. It could be when you were a kid. I'm going to start first because as a pit guy, it pains me to say it, but I went to Happy Valley and I saw the desert swarm of Arizona go out there and LeVar Arrington and Brandon Short, it was that defense. LeVar gets hurt. He goes into the locker room. The oxygen gets sucked out of the stadium. And then around the third quarter, he just starts walking down that tunnel. And only a few people could see him. And then it got louder and louder and louder and louder. And I'm like 13. And I'm like, holy, this hundred whatever thousand at the time. This is like 1994 or something like that. And that's when I was like, I got to I need a fix. This is my, my thing. So I'm going to toast that moment, which led us to hear. 30 some years later or whatever it's been. I'm going to go next. Cause I know my man hack needs a few more minutes to put his, uh, you saw me processing, put his together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but I, I see it. I can read the room. Yogi, by the way, when you, you keep bringing up these kind of cheers, you're going to have to shoot me a text or something beforehand. I know, I, I know. I've been hit a few times. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. <laughs> Hell I got to, I got to, but I got one. I got one. This okay. is easy for me, man. I, uh, I went to a University of Texas game. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, I completely forgot about this until you just asked this question. Like, it, it blanked in my mind. I've been to a couple of Texas games with my wife. But I went to a University of Texas game. Uh, they were recruiting um, my tight end at the time here in Baytown, Texas. A kid named Chad Irwin was, a, was one of the highest-ranked tight ends coming out. And run, Ricky, run – was at the University of Texas, Ricky Williams. And it was – I don't remember much of the details. I remember the game. He was an absolute monster. And you you realize this dude's fixing to set records. And you could see – you could feel the momentum in the, in the stadium and all that job that comes with it. But I remember one of the coolest things ever. And this is really cool today because today it's, it's, a, it's a new trend. Everybody making their own T-shirt, right? This was the first time that I remember – a T-shirt going what we call today viral was the the it was literally just a silhouette of Ricky running the rock, and the only way you knew it was Rick was he had the dreads hanging out of the back, like <laughs> out of his out of his helmet. And I remember that shirt just going batshit crazy after that. And it was one of those like, wow. Little did I know, twenty five years, thirty years later, whatever it is, we'd be we'd be able to make our own t-shirts and sell them online and make money doing it. But mm -hmm. that was the moment for me when I realized how big college football was, how cool college football was, how big college football in the state of Texas was at that point. I'd never left the state of Texas. Um, so 
Um, here's to, to, to Ricky Williams. Run, Ricky, run, baby. That's awesome, man. Literally, literally, Yog had forgot about I, I literally had forgot about that experience until you said that, and I started racking my brain. Mm. All right, hack what you got, which is dangerous. By so, the way. so this is when we fell in love with college football, right, Yog? Yeah, just a moment that captured something you, you know, like that. Like, it's a moment where you're like, "Whoa, this thing's pretty, yeah. pretty rad." Yeah, that's tough. I had a few. Fortunately, I've been around football a lot. Like my first game, I was really young. Went to Penn State games. And then my dad played at Virginia, so when we moved back to the Charlottesville area, we had season tickets. Been to a lot of Virginia games. But I will say this goes back to probably I was seven, seven or eight. Um, I went to a Penn State game versus Temple with my grandfather and my dad and. Uh, my agent who ended up being my agent now, but was yeah. my dad's best friend since sixth grade played at Penn state. We met him at a tailgate, chugging a football around, looked at him after the, after everything and said, Hey man, I'm going to play here one day. He laughed at me. And now we kind of busted each other's balls about it. Um, since I ended up playing at Penn state and then he ended up being my agent. So it was like one of those cool full circle moments. Um, but that's kind of where I realized it. And then, you know, everything else kind of fell in place with it, but that was one of the cool ones for me. Wow, I love that. Um, I love those those memories. I, the reason I bring it up is because, like, I don't know if you guys feel this, but like we're entering a, a month stretch after this weekend where it's going to be on and it's going to be picking apart every little thing. And I just think it's important to start shows on the idea of like, do we still love this game? Like, because you're going to feel it. We're going to, you know, conferences and leagues and teams, and we're going to nitpick and who's good, who's worse. And a lot of times I think it's about like, who's worse. I think that kind of comes to the surface and I think it's important just to kind of remember that we're here. I was two years ago. We were lucky we even had games. So just mm -hmm. wanted to start there tonight. So thanks for doing that. Uh, surprise. You. you know, it's kind of my thing now, Clint, you know, I just kind of, just kind of throw something out there randomly, but I'll give you a heads up next time. So with that, uh, Clint, I want to start with you. Ohio state has been, I think arguably the most consistent team. When you just look at point differential throughout the season, um, where do we net out on them? Because they also consistently haven't played anybody who's been ranked. What do you think? Yeah, look, I mean, I'll be loud and clear. I mean, I think Ohio State is the top top four football team. They should be ranked in the top four in in, in America right now. But but as we as we discuss the the top teams in the country, and as we get closer to the college football playoff, I mean, there's there's one thing about Ohio State that sticks out like a sore thumb, and that's their schedule. Um, and and I, and I just I hate. I hate that, you know, everybody's quick to go, yeah, but that point differential. Yeah, but boy, these stats. Yeah, but man, this or that. No, man, you ain't played nobody. Look, you're a good football team. We, we, everybody understands that. You're one of the top football teams in the country year in, year out. Everybody understands that. But we need to have a conversation about what does it mean that they, they are not going to play a team with a winning record at this point in time, they're not going to play a team with a winning record until week eight. Is it week eight or week nine, actually? What is this, week eight? So it's week eight. They're going to play a team with a winning record. Um, that's got to mean something. I'm not saying it pushes them outside of the top ten. I'm saying it creates a lot of doubt in my mind as to who exactly Ohio State is. Clint, you, what I – Go ahead. Yeah, what I'll say when I jump in on this, though, is that it, you're talking about Ohio State now. There's guys in that roster who played three, four years of football. That program's won against anybody for the past 15 years, right? So I don't think you can really take the strength of schedule necessarily this year into account. Like, yeah, that is what it is. But at the end of the day, Ohio State's will come out and handle business, and they've proven that over three coaching staffs. And as long as we can remember, right, I think the last time they were – not ranked in the top 25 was like in like 2011 or something or 2008 when they had a interim head coach between Trestle and urban. So it, to me, like the argument of strength, the schedule, I, I don't, I mean, yeah, it is what it is, but they've been handling business this year with the strength of schedule. And again, it's not a program who's just emerged in that realm of, of, of talk or royalty in college football. Like these guys have proven it. And there's guys on this roster that have been there for a while when they have played in those games too. So I, I see what you're saying, but I also think that it's a little bit of a different animal than most situations of somebody who's like, ah, you know, strength to schedule this, strength to schedule that. I think it's something that's ingrained in that program. They're ready to play no matter what. Yeah, yeah. Look, you can't argue with the history, but I, I just I look at this thing from year to year. And and if we're gonna sit there and talk about, hey man, does does an undefeated TCU do they get in the, do they get in the college football playoffs? 
hey, man, them Pac-12 teams, if they run the table or if they do this, did they get in the playoffs? Then we got to look at strength of schedule, though. We can't sit there and look at the but Big they, Twelve and go, Big but Twelve been sucks, man. Though, for the past for the past like fifteen years, that ain't got nothing to do with this year. Have they been consistent though? No, no. But you can't, no, tell, me that, but you can't no. tell me that consistency doesn't play a little bit of a factor in this. Sure. Yeah. Look, I, I'm not. It does. I'm not. It, it, that that can play a factor, but we still got to be able to have a conversation about the strength of schedule and understand that. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna be honest with you. I've purposely gone back and watched. Ohio State ball games, and I I don't I really I'm not sure that when I've I've heard time I've been beat over the head with yeah but the eye test yeah but the eye test really the eye test at Ohio State is that convincing right now? You watch the Michigan State game, and I'm picking one world boy through five touchdowns, and they actually look pretty good. The Michigan State game, the Notre Dame game, and you look at the, the, the Iowa game, and the eye test tells you, yeah, don't worry about the strength of schedule, man. Don't worry about that. That's, that's a top, that's a top four football team. I, I, I don't agree with that. I, I don't I don't agree. I, I'm not, I'm not as before I just sat there and let it be like, oh, it's Ohio State, man. You must be right. Boy, them stats are them stats are big, man. You must be right. Yeah. I, I don't I went back and watched two complete ball games. Within the last forty-eight hours, and I don't, I don't see it. I, I, I watched CJ Stroud throw for a hundred yards and two extra touchdowns at the end of that ball game after they were up forty to ten. Y'all want to hit me? You want to hit me in the face with stats? Nah, man. I, I just, again, they're a top four football team, but I, I'm not as susceptible to, hey, man, watch the tape. They passed the eye test as I was a week ago. So I want to bring this point up because I think I think this is a fascinating conversation. Again, we're at least for for us three. This is the last time we'll be together until a ranking comes out in the CFP. And I don't know if you guys have done the mock exercise. Have you gone to like Dallas? They'll take journalists and broadcasters down there. If not, I'd highly recommend it. But you go and you like go through the mock. And the year I got to do, I got it to be Rob Mullins, who was the chair at the time. So you go through. They pick a year, and then you go through the whole system. Well, very clearly, they say. It's supposed to just be about the season that we're talking about. So I, I say that because we all know that like how hard, it, it's, a, it's, I don't say it's impossible. It's really hard to ignore what Hack's point is like the history of it. So if we're not, if we're going to take it into context, I think it's fair to point out like last year they lost to Michigan 42-27 who got rolled in the playoff. So I think there is something to the context of like, do we want to go historicals? Do we want to go back 15 years? Do we want to go back a calendar year to last year's team, to this year's team? Do we want to just pick the four best? Because I think it's going to be a, a, a fascinating dialogue where I sit if Oregon runs the table in that regard of should they have just have scheduled Western Michigan in that week one game? Like I, I, I think all these nuanced things, if it gets tight at the end, are worthy of a discussion. Yeah, look, I, I, I'll tell you this, guys. I, I mean, I, I think me, I don't I'll tell you guys how to do your job or what you should think. But, like, I look at teams like George and I don't go, oh, yeah, man, shit, man, they, they've been they've been crushing folks. We could very easily say that. I mean, the last two years, they, there's nobody been more dominant in the, in the college football game uh, over, over the last two years. But the, re, the reality of it is, is we, we should look at these five or six or seven teams that are in it year in, year out, that have the logo on the side of the helmet, that garners the extra respect and go, is Alabama's defense really as good as we think? They're more vulnerable on offense. Is Alabama's defense as good? Is the receiving core as good? Anybody can sit there and go, Bryce Young is badass. Man, they've won X number of games straight, right? Anybody can sit there and look at Stroud's numbers and go, man, Stroud's crushing it, man. This offense is unstoppable, man. I mean, anybody can look at Georgia – after week one, and they won 49 to three, and go, boy, they're going to replace all those those eight guys that got drafted last year. No, no man, it, it's like I feel like it's it's my job to look at that through a little bit more trained eye and go, what are the fallacies of the, what might be the problem with each one of these absolute <laughs> powerhouses that could get exposed throughout the year in the college football playoffs? So I, I just find that a, I, a little bit more fascinating, I guess, Hack. Listen, I agree with you, and I think the one thing the, to your point, though, the one thing that I've looked at with this with this Ohio State team is defensively, I thought they were they struggled last year, and then I thought they also struggled to run the football last year. Whether that was the ability to the the inability of calling it and and game planning it and making it a priority, or if they just couldn't do it, 
Um, I think this year they have. And to your point about the Iowa game, they were up 40 to 10 against a team that no matter who they played, they've only given up 54 points in the entire season up into that point. So to me, for Ohio State to be able to show different ways to be able to win games, and again, taking the historical data into it, I think if they can run the football with a threat, their defense plays better than they did last year, and with the offensive firepower they have that's matured, we we will like I th- I agree with you. I think we need to wait until this week. But if they handle business against a good Penn State team this week, the way that I think they can, then to me all all the strength of schedule stuff needs to go out the window. But when I look at it, to your point, Clint, because I don't like to just look at it by stats. And honestly, like C.J. Stroud for me has great. He's been playing good. I know that Ohio State guys are gonna get their get their get their stats. I said that when we talked about this with Desmond. I said yeah. Ohio State guys are gonna get their stats. You could play Kyle McCord. He's gonna light it up for 400 yards. It's just the system, right? Hey, I stole but, that from you, by the way, Heck. I, I, I stole that. It. I stole that I Ohio it. State's a plug and play. I've used that a time or two in Houston on the radio. Just it is though. No, I appreciate it. But it is though, right? So my point being is, is I think that they've improved in areas that they lacked in last year. And for me, watching it, they haven't had the opportunity to play a opponent where all of those things had to necessarily click all at once, right? Not going to sit there and blame anybody for them not doing it up until this point, but I'm just curious to see when they're forced to have to do those things, what happens. And to me, I think that they're more tooled to do it this year than they have in the past five or six years. I'll say this. We're we're, going to keep it moving in a second, but if you look at current top 10 in the AP, no one, like, no one has had to put a string of wins together except one team. Like, beat Bama, amazing. UT Martin, come on. Right? Like, you can go up and down everybody but TCU. And that's why I'm I'm fascinated what's going to happen Tuesday because if TCU is able to remain unblemished, right? I think they have K-State this weekend, right? Uh, If they're able to remain unblemished, their blind resume is dramatically better than everybody's like dramatically better than everybody's. And I'll be curious to see what the committee does. And I think this first release of the polls will say, Hey, we're, we kind of lean into the, some of those historicals and those powerhouses with those logos, or it's about this season. And that's why I think it's, it's worth dialogue for us because I'd imagine they'd beat it up like crazy. Cause if it was anybody else who had those wins, those ranked wins in a row, it'd be a no brainer. It'd be a no-brainer. And I, my gut is that TCU is not going to be the number one team in America come ranking times next Tuesday, even if they win this weekend. Uh, and, and I also think they're the most deserving today based on what we've seen this season. Because I think it is – I understand the context of what they've done. I get that, and we respect it, and I think we'd be foolish to say it doesn't play a part in it. But I'm telling you from being around, like, in these conversations with the committee, they don't – they only talk about what is supposed to be this year. So then you ta- you ask yourself – all right, well, what seeps in? What so, seeps Yogi, in? And, and that's where I struggle. Okay. <clears throat> Let me ask you this. What if what if uh Clemson runs a table, TCU runs a table, Ohio State runs a table? Which which two are which two are getting in? Let's just assume that two well, SEC teams are getting in. Well, that, this is where like I get really conflicted because I think like and and, I, and I've had this conversation in this setting with the committee before of I just think like if you win, I think I'll say this. When I was coaching at SC, to go undefeated was so much harder than it ever looked like from the outside in, in college football. When you're the age we know of college players and the challenges of week to week, like I just think if you win all your games, it's hard for me to be like, nah, you're not in. I don't care about the SEC and two teams and the elitists and all that stuff. Like if you beat who's in front of you, especially if it's like nine conference games, like the Big 12 and the Pac-12 easily have the most challenging championship games because they're playing 1v2. They're not playing division versus division. So I'd, I'd, I would kick out whoever didn't win the SEC title and say, sorry, bro, like you got to win your games. I, I just don't feel like as an athlete, if someone said you did everything you could, but you can't go compete and you're a power five school, power five league. I just would, I would lose my mind on that. And like, what else could you ask a player to do? You know, like. No, it's fair enough. Got to bring and I it. Think, like, I think you could also make another argument, too, if a, if a one-loss Oregon to only Georgia. So you could you could technically end up in that scenario where you have a one-loss Oregon to only Georgia. You yeah. have an undefeated TCU. You have an undefeated Clemson and an undefeated Ohio State out of the big out of the big 10 yeah and and that goes to and and like i'll be making that argument like you i'm happy to present it here yeah but if you look at like again what is the cfp task to do they would say four best 
Okay. And we would say, well, what does that mean? Is right. it four best bodies of work? Is the entirety of the season? Like, should a team be penalized for playing the defending champs in the opener? Should they have played Western Michigan? I don't mean to pick on Western Michigan, but uh, <laughs> like, should they just play like Tennessee Martin? Like, should they just play mm-hmm. whatever, like one of those teams? And, you know, thankfully the playoff is going to expand, but I, I'm, I'll be fascinated to see how that's valued. Yeah, with the people in the room, with, with a new room this year, and the dynamics. Save your it's, Oregon argument. Save your Oregon argument, though. I yeah. do want. I want to hear that for later. It's such a lame ass response, though, Yogi. You know what I mean? Not from you. I'm talking about from the. It's such a lame ass response to say, "Oh, we're tasked to give you the best four. I mean, well, okay. Yeah. So, so what if you look up in a team that that is really one of the top four has two losses this year? I mean, yeah, is the second happened. loss worse than the first loss? Like if a team loses one game throughout the year and Ohio State lost to a six and six Virginia Tech football team at their place, I believe it was the first year of the college football playoff. They ended up going on and winning the champion national championship. So nobody wants to have the conversation of like, wait a minute, you let a team that got beat by a 500 football team in their own backyard, you let them in? Like, okay, that sounds good. Well, what if what if somebody loses to two teams that are Top five football teams. Is the second team is the second loss worse than that the fact that somebody lost to a six and six football team? Like, what are we talking about here? It, it's to me, it's just such a lame, like the best four. No, man. I mean, there's too much of that. Yeah. The logo means this, and and, and sh- people say what they want to. The, the the power of the logo and the power of of eyeballs on the college football playoffs is going to be more with the bigger logos in it. You you can't nobody's going to convince me that that's not an issue as well. So I just I hate the whole four best. I mean that's bro, you're just preaching to the choir. I mean let's just talk about for a second uh, week eleven, okay? Week eleven for Alabama. I'm just going to pull it up. I don't even know who it is yet. Austin P. I think is how you pronounce it. All right, let's talk week eleven. Utah, Oregon, like. Uh, I just think the inequities in college football remain dramatic, right? Whether it's eight versus nine conference games, the how the conference title is shaped up, like to the point of like, hey, the SEC has done such a nice job. That you can't criticize them winning or being elite. But man, what a nice job of marketing that thing and only having eight conference games and never having to play two tough games in a row. And when was the last time you saw an SEC team play legit back-to-backs? When was the last time Georgia played Bama in the regular season non-2020? I'll tell you a decade ago, like, so it'll be, it'll be amazing to watch how it shakes out. So um, another thing that'll be amazing to watch how it shakes out, uh, we'll, we'll get back to, or let's talk about the big 10 here for a second. We'll finish is Michigan. Like Michigan seems like they're in control. JJ McCarthy playing at high level. Clearly them and Ohio state are in a clash um, before we move on to Clemson. Cause we're going to get there just real quick for you guys. How do you feel about Michigan and the defending champs in that league. We just talked to Ohio State. Where do you net out between the two? Hack, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think, I mean, Michigan's done a great job of, I think, not only staying, they've done a great job of building on what they did last year foundationally. They're a really physical football team, old school. I I love watching their offensive line play. And I think from the defensive side of the ball, they're approaching it more as a um, by unit as opposed to uh, by name on the back of the jersey where they had Aiden Hutchinson, David Ajabo, and a few other guys there that all got drafted. Their defense is as productive, if not more productive, I think statistically at this point in the season than they were last year. So um, really good football team. And I think J.J., you know, he hasn't been asked to do much at this point in time. Um, I think obviously that's that's the – when that does come up, that's going to be when Harbaugh rolled the dice because I think he knew what he was going to get out of Cade McNamara um, just because of what they went through last year. But he doesn't necessarily know what he's going to get out of J.J. from full four quarters with the press on him and kind of in tight holes and you're in third and 15 down by 10 in the horseshoe. Like, you don't really know how he's going to react in those situations. But um, at the end of the day, that's something he's going to have to live and die with. So we're going to have to find out uh, when those situations come out, how he does react. But at the end of the day, you know, it's it's J.J. McCarthy's show, so we'll see. But I really, really like the way this Michigan team's built. Yeah, I think regardless, I think we're all probably on the same page. Like, yeah, one team comes out of the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if, if we're if we're if we're approaching this thing the right way, I I think it's a no brainer, right? And look, the, the the thing with Michigan is the elephant in the room is what Hack was just talking about. 
I mean, it's it, look, Michigan's got a got a great football team. Um, you know, they're doing a lot of good things, but ultimately, if if, if the conversation <laughs> about Michigan and how they how they fit into a potential college football playoff, that conversation is about one man, and that's JJ McCarthy. And who is he? What is he capable of? When during this season does Harbaugh actually give him the handles to this offense and say, young man, you got to grow up and go win us a ball game. And because it's it's gonna have to happen in order to maybe even order to win the Big Ten. I mean, yeah, to win the Big Ten, right? Maybe in order to get past Ohio State, we don't know. Maybe in order to get past Ohio State, JJ McCarthy's gonna have to grow up a little bit, right? But damn sure to 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 be relevant in in the in the college football playoff, JJ McCarthy's gonna have to be not just a uh uh, you know, a guy that can distribute and a game manager, he's going to have to be a game changer. We saw that last year. My knock on Georgia, we hadn't seen old boy do anything but manage a game. I mean, there was games when he had 10 or 11, literally 10 or 11 completions in a ball game. What did he do in the SEC championship? What did he do in the college ball playoffs? Dude lit it up. It all of a sudden became an explosive offense at Georgia in order to win a title. Can J.J. McCarthy do what he did last year? Yeah, you know, I it's so fun. Like, heck, I remember meeting you back in the day, and JJ. Yeah, he's an impressive dude. Um, I I look forward to that stage for him. What I'd love to see, because now just as a fan of the of the playoff, like I, I can't wait to see where they net out. If let's say Michigan loses to Illinois but beats Ohio State, imagine Ohio State beats Penn State, loses to Michigan. Like, I I kind of hope for a little of that chaos just to see, to really find out what they're yeah. thinking in that room. Um, all right, so speaking of the room, uh, the QB room at Clemson. What do you think is going on in the QB room? And what do you think is going on in the locker room? And we're going to hear from somebody on that team here in a few minutes as well. Uh, Clint, I'll, I'll start with you then. Hey, look, my jaw hit the, hit the floor when I'm sitting there watching the post game with Davo Sweeney. And when he all of a sudden goes back to, like, unprovoked, goes to DJ as our starter, I'm on record of saying that right now. I cannot believe that he – even if it's the right decision, I cannot believe that he made that decision on national TV in, in a moment where emotions are literally as high as they've been probably all year for that program, if we're being honest. I don't know how, as a head coach, you don't watch what the young fella did when he went in there, and not necessarily what he did because he didn't have to do a whole hell of a lot in terms of something that we can actually lean on to and say this kid's this kid can go out there and do this every Saturday and win ball games. He ran around a little bit, made a couple of plays, but we still really don't know a whole lot about who he is. But the way that that team responded and the juice that he brought, the energy that he brought. In that moment, when their whole season was on the line, to come back from a two-score deficit, right? Was it two or three? Two-score, right? Yeah, to come twenty-one yeah. ten. Yeah, to 10 come back from a two-score deficit, and and literally the dude owned the moment, man. I'm not saying he balled out. I'm not saying, but the dude was getting up, doing his thing after first downs, and and bringing the crew with him. I th- I felt like his energy was contagious, and and. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. I think that's what DJ misses. Whether he don't have it or the team just doesn't respond to him that way, to me, that's what DJ is missing. It's not a, anything tangible. It, it's what we saw with the young kid when he stepped in there and that energy in that building went through the roof and the energy with that roster went through the roof. And then you go, Clemson's a better football team. Clemson's a more talented football team. They all raised their bar and – Game was over. All right, Hack. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that's a good point, um, Clint, about the about the emotional side. And then I, I'll just go there. Like, I think DJ. I don't know if DJ doesn't have it, but up until this point in the season, I think DJ's done it through his play. I think when they needed him, he's been able to make plays. And this week, he just wasn't making the plays. He was turning the football over. And I, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to give Dabo too much credit there, but I think the shift in in personalities for him might have been a reason that he did it. I think ultimately what, in my opinion, and what I've seen from, from Cade up until this point, and again, I, I'm not there every day at practice. I don't know what the kid's capable of, right? I, I don't see what these coaches see. I've only seen what he does on Saturdays. And up until this point, I think their best chance at making a run into the college football playoff is with DJ as their quarterback. 
Now, again, there's a lot to be unseen with that. Like you said, Yogi, at the beginning of the show, there's a bye week here. There's going to be there's going to be some things, and there's probably going to be some tough decisions. But I did find it strange that that Dabo did jump to that conclusion so quickly after the game. To your point, a lot of emotion. You usually try to give it at least a 24 hour rule. Go back and like reflect on it, talk about it as a staff. But he jumped to it. So to me, um, yeah, he must have some real conviction in that stance. And at the end of the day, it's going to be real hard for him to backpedal on it at this point in time. Uh, whether that means DJ just rolls out there with a really short leash next uh, in two weeks or not, who knows? But, um, you know, I think there's definitely some things to be seen. I think if you're a college football fan or a Clemson fan, you got to really be paying attention to this. That's a great point. Hack. The, the, the point of, of what, what is Dabo Sweeney and, and Clemson, what are they up against, right? You're undefeated. I mean, you all, you're all but in the college football playoffs. And so if you're Dabo Sweeney, do you roll the dice on a five-star that's inexperienced, maybe lacks a little bit of development, definitely mentally lacks a little bit of development, and you don't know how long it's going to take for him to turn the corner and, and, and actually win ball games for you by making decisions from the pocket? Do you do you roll the dice on that guy, or do you roll the dice on the, the five-star, former five-star that you know if he plays up to his ability, you can play with anybody in the country, yep. right? I mean, that's a – that's a that's a tough ass decision for Dabo because both of them could end up being like just just killer yeah. bad decisions, you know? I mean, it's it's a tough one. Yeah, I'll tell you where my head went, and just to set the record straight for our listeners, by week they go to Notre Dame, it's been down, we know. Then they don't leave their home stadium, Louisville, Miami, South Carolina, the rivalry game. So to to your point, Clint, like the the road is there to go down. My, my first thought when I saw him go in was not the same stage, but was like Tua Jalen. And I'm like, oh, this will be interesting. I wonder if Alabama had another game that year. Let's just say that was week eight. And Tua came in and threw a sweet pass to win the game in that whole shot. Like, who plays the next week? And I think, heck, it's a, it's a brilliant point of like four – the head coach of Clemson to say what he said and drop the jaw of our friend Clint here and, and many others, including mine, he has to know something. And I don't think he's a platoon guy, but I'm going to be real curious to see how this shakes out. Cause we all know one thing. We know that the players, especially on offense, they already know. Yeah. They already know because they've seen it in practice. They've seen it in meetings. And I got to imagine Dabo knows, right? Like, He's our guy. So I, it'll be it'll be amazing to see how it shakes out. Um, and if they remain undefeated, because that's their only shot, I think, to get to the playoff. I think we could look at one through ten, and I'd love to see Clemson play somebody outside of their league. We'd love to oh, see yeah. that. Um, we'll obviously get that in the rivalry game, but would love to see it. Uh, all right, so with that said, uh, I know we love to see interviews <laughs> with players. We have that right here. Jeremiah Trotter, Jr., the linebacker, East Coast, New Jersey guy. Interview with Greg Waddell. Enjoy. We are pleased to be joined by Clemson linebacker Jeremiah Trotter. Jeremiah, first of all, thank you for making time. Congrats on the big win over the weekend, and thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm glad I was able to do this. Absolutely. So I want to start uh, – I'm, I'm going to go way back here. I'm going to go past even the beginning of this season, but I want to talk about you as a recruit because you were a very highly regarded player who probably could have gone anywhere in the country to play college football. What drew you to play for the Clemson Tigers? Uh, I definitely say like just the culture that Coach Sweeney uh, talked about uh, and I, it was shown to us, uh, shown to me as a recruit, uh, just like that family atmosphere. Uh, he, he, he's a, he's a God-fearing man. He's a, he's a Christian man. And uh, me, myself, I'm religious too. So like, I really love that about Clemson and how he tried to teach players, uh, you know, just uh, about God and try to lead them, lead them down that path. And um, just overall, just as far as academics and, and the football and the, just like the culture, even even outside of the football team, uh, that was just something I could see myself really being a part of. So I got to ask, is Davo really like what you see is what you get? Because we see the videos of him dancing, him running out of the tunnel and all of that. But then we also know like, to your point, he's a man of faith. He uses that as a, a big pitch of the culture of his program. Like, is he pretty straightforward? What we see as fans, is that really who he is? Yeah, yeah, I, I said that's definitely what you get. What you see is what you get. And uh, that, uh, 
go going back to your last question about my recruiting, that's another part, another reason why I came to Clemson because I knew he was I was gonna as soon the way he acted in recruiting was the way what I was gonna get when I got here, and uh, you don't get that with a lot of coaches and across the country. So I really I really appreciate that. So let's jump into this game over the weekend. A big win for you guys, obviously, in an undefeated ACC matchup with Syracuse. And you guys come out unscathed. You are now clearly still the top of the top of this conference. But it didn't always feel that easy to anybody at home watching that game. You guys were down a couple scores early. Obviously, there was the big change at quarterback. But uh, when you guys are down two scores in that game, and maybe there's – uh, uh, just a feeling of tenseness in that stadium. What's going on between the players? Like, are you guys as confident as you are? Are you kind of rallying together? What was it like in that moment? Um, definitely, I feel like as a on the defensive side and on the offensive side, we all rallied together. We all kept that faith and uh, knew we were going to get it together and and uh, do it do what we had to do to get to win the game. But. Uh, from the defensive side, because I'm down there, but I could definitely tell like our leaders really stepped up, and I just kept everybody's head in the game and just try to take it one drive at a time, just try to get the ball back to our offense so they can make some plays. What's it like when the change at quarterback happens? I mean, that's that's not a usual thing. DJ's been playing great this year. Obviously, Cade's incredibly talented, but what what does that feel like to the team on the sideline? And were you surprised when that played out? Um, you know, when you saw. Uh, so when you saw Kate go out there, definitely was surprised. But you know, we we had confidence in both our quarterbacks, and uh, knew that knew that uh, Coach Sweeney was going to do what had to be done. Uh, like he said, he uh, sometimes you have a bad game, but overall uh, the objective is to win. But we still have faith in both DJ and we have faith in Kate, and he shows that uh, he was he was ready for that moment to step in. Thanks, Greg Jeremiah. Great stuff. Check out the rest of that interview at. Field of 12's YouTube channel. Again, Yogi Roth, Christian Hackenberg, my man Clint Sterner. Uh, we'll move on from Clemson. There'll be a ton to talk about over the next two weeks. I am very intrigued, though, to see where they sit. Because to me, this is a great case of what we talked about earlier. Historicals, put him in the top four. Reality, put him in the top 12. I'd take Oregon over Clemson. Take SC over Clemson. Speaking on the Pac-12, we'll get to that in a minute. Let's stay in the Big 12, <laughs> though, with uh, Quinn Ewers. Uh, Texas is always a big story. I hope I'll be cheering for Sark in Texas uh, in two weeks for sure against TCU. Uh, they get they get a big one this weekend. Um, Quinn Ewers, he's taking a lot of flack. That kind of comes with the position. I remember talking to Sam Ellinger back in the day. He was part of the book that Hack you were gracefully a part of as well. I did on five-star QBs. Talked about you know he's having the most fun in his career in the NFL. Because right? college can be hard when you're at a Penn State or you're at a Texas and things aren't always perfect or what people want them to be when you base historicals. When you were maybe dealing with that for the first time, what do you have? 30 incompletions, which was a season high in college football this year. Uh, hack for you, a guy who's played under that type of microscope. What are your thoughts? Is it being overblown? You know, where do you think Texas nets out here? Yeah, I mean, I think everything, to your point, Yog, everything's obviously going to be overanalyzed and the microscope's always going to dig deeper and deeper into these types of things, especially with how we as fans and as a culture, you know, uh, obsess over analytics and numbers and statistics. I think when you watch it, um, having played the position and watched what's going on out there, and I think Clint, you might echo this based upon what we talked about. I don't think it was as bad as the numbers looked. And I think at the end of the day, the expectations for a guy like Quinn Ewers heading into Texas. And I said this at the beginning of the year when, when everyone was kind of like, oh, I don't know about the kid. I said, I think the kid's going to be fine. I th at the end of the day, I think he's going to put himself in a really good situation to be the guy for the next couple of years. And then Arch Manning kind of follow in. Um, I don't think that the game necessarily and the numbers matched up with how he played. I think there were some things that he obviously could have done better, but um, at the end of the day, you know, I think it was a good learning learning game for him. And, you know, I think obviously I think the thing we got to pay attention to is how he comes out this week. Um, and that's going to tell a lot about about his makeup. It's going to tell a lot about Sark's confidence in him. And it's going to tell a lot about the team's confidence in him. Clint, what did you see when you watched it? Yeah, I agree. Look, I don't think the numbers tell the story. I mean, this this team had a major issue with penalties. They had 14 penalties. Oklahoma State, what I'm reading, had zero penalties. I don't know how the hell that happened, but 
that was a major issue. You know, he started the game with an interception, a bad interception. You, you got to give that one to him. Uh, the next one was late in the ball game. They had a fourth and like two or three and got a false start and got into fourth and eight. And he throws a pick, you know, and then he threw a pick the very end of the game. There was a lot of really good football, I think, played in between there. This, is a, this was a shootout versus I – mean, I mean, I'm sitting there watching the game, guys, and I'm thinking, damn, whoever gets stopped first is going to be behind the eight ball. It's just, it was one of those – one of those kind of football games. And and, and I, I just think when it, when it all boils down to it, if I got to really – if I got to really give you an opinion of, of Quinn Ewers is very, very talented dude that's supposed to be a true freshman in college ultimately. You know, that's super young, that hasn't – I think what's he got, three starts before this ball game and, he, and he's he's playing on the road at, at a top ten a top ten opponent. Um, not making excuses for the kid because because there were opportunities to get that ball game back to back to tied or even a lead late in the ball game and didn't get it done. <laughs> but I still watch this kid play, take all things into consideration, and I see a, a guy that naturally knows how to layer the football. He naturally knows how to anticipate. He naturally, without even like it's not forced, man. He's accurate. He knows when to drive it. He knows when to throw that level two. When he throws a deep ball, he throws as good a deep ball as anybody in the country right now. I mean, he he's dropping dimes left and right on the deep ball. Now he's got some pretty good targets out there, but he throws the deep ball really, really well. So I still watch a kid that's got a ton of promise that I'm not one bit disappointed in, um, and I think the future's bright at the University of Texas. Yeah, and I think for anybody that thinks that like the pressure of an incoming recruit last name Manning is affecting him. I think that's like so overblown. I think that's like, yeah, like to play, He's like not even thinking about give that. a shit about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So chill out on the message boards or on social media. In that <laughs> yeah. Like support the player to, to your point, right? Like should be a freshman in high school. A quick story on him. I remember when he came to the elite 11, he, he went viral like a couple weeks before for that wild throw that he made at Steve Clarkson's quarterback camp. And he wasn't even a social media guy. And I remember talking to him and he was like, I didn't, I didn't like seek that attention out. Like it just kind of happened, yeah. you know, like, and I think the the players that we all talk to, like nobody's raising their hand necessarily. That's a, that's a baller. That's like, Hey, come look at me. I'm the man. They're just playing. And, yeah. and I think for him, like to your point on this, on the number of starts, he's got to keep playing. Like he's a guy can't wait till he gets to like, let's just say 12 starts in his career, let alone like 15, 16, 18, because he will be an absolute, as our friend George Woodfield would say, like he'll be an absolute surgeon. Like he will be able to dice people up in the system of Texas. They're, they're heading in the right direction. Um, speaking of heading in the right direction, Pac-12, which is kind of trending up out here, fellas. Before I, I get on my soapbox around this league, I, I want to know your takeaways. Like where you sit, where you sit, literally in your respective states and different regions in the country. What's your view on the league right now? Go ahead, Clint. Um, look, I, I think I've the fact that they've they've beat each other up, and now you don't have an undefeated football team. I think is a problem for the Pac-12. Um, in in terms of you know now TCU is the the undefeated team. It's not in the ACC, Big Ten, or SEC that everybody's like, will they make it or will they not make it? So now we got to start talking about one-loss football teams. But I think if you if you watch the product that is, um, you're historically you're gonna have to tell me, yo, because I'm not a Pac-12 historian, but I think top to bottom, I watched Utah take down USC in an unbelievable matchup. I didn't get to see as much of the Oregon UCLA game as I want, but big shout out to Bo Nix, who I doubted severely throughout the the, the, the transfer and the, after the first week of the season. And he goes out there and throws for five touchdowns. And I, I watched all of those. He lit it up. Um, you know, I, I just I think the football top to bottom, in my opinion, is is significantly better than I than I recall it being. And this is after the Washingtons and Washington States. And I'm talking about kind of when the cream is coming to the top here as, as we get into the season. Um you look at USC uh, and you look at Oregon. I don't know that either one of those guys aren't aren't going to win the one loss battle if the college football playoffs come down to a one loss football team getting in. I think Oregon and USC potentially could be um, the front runners in that in that particular conversation. Whoever emerges with one loss. 
or they kind of yeah. I I just think the Pac-12 has been so kind of distant for the past few years in terms of national stage. They haven't had. I mean, hell, you got to go back to like Mariota with Chip. Like the, the, they were on ESPN every day. Like they had highlights. They were putting up sixty-five points, fifty-five plus points every week. They haven't really had that um, in terms of dominance over the past few years. I think that this year's group is deeper. To your point, I think Utah's a really, really good football team. I think you could insert Utah in a couple conferences. And their their game travels. I think Oregon's game travels right now. I think USC's game travels right now. Um, so when you're talking about that, I think all these programs are headed in the right direction. I just don't think, like at least we on the on the East Coast don't don't get to see it as much. It's not as as front and center for us. And unless you're doing it in a very like dramatic fashion, we're not gonna really until it comes down to nut cutting time. We're like, oh oh shit, dude! Oregon just ran the damn table, and their only losses to is to Georgia. Must be doing pretty good. Let's go look at that because we don't get to catch those games too often. But, um, you know, for me, just looking at it, I think that there are some teams that definitely do travel this year more so than than in the past few years. Yeah, and I appreciate that. I, I think it's fascinating, right? Like, can't argue the run that Oregon had when Marcus won the Heisman. UW mm-hmm. won, I think, three straight titles. Went to the playoff, lost to Bama. And then you had like SC had a moment, maybe Penn State in the Rose Bowl, and you're thinking yep. it's back, right? And Ohio State, Oregon last year, that was like a moment. But you're right. Like there hasn't been like this continuous climb, right? And it's been, up oh, two losses, somebody's out because to Clint's point, they beaten each other up. Well, and it's I a like shame too, though, Yogs, because like you were a part of it. Like that that run that USC had was so, I mean, it was so epic. And like that, it was just like, that was kind of the expectation that they set, right? Like to me, yeah. at least like that was the expectation they set. So when that yeah. kind of dissem- disseminated, it was like, eh, eh. Yeah. Like one yeah. of the greatest runs in the history of college football. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was, I think seven straight top four finishes. Yeah. Like it was just, and it was right when like college game day went and the mm-hmm. four or five o'clock game on ABC became a thing. And, you know, it was L.A., which is stupidly. And, and I'll, I'll were, say this. They like, were poised to be Bama. Like, they were poised to be Bama. Like, what Nick Saban's done in Alabama is what. Totally. And I think now. it's it was more impressive in L.A. because it was in L.A. Mm-hmm. than doing it in the middle of nowhere. No offense to mm-hmm. our friends and listeners in Tuscaloosa. Um, with that said, I, I love what you said about the talent coming in. Because for the last track, the last, like, 10 drafts, Pac-12 predominantly sits third. SEC, Big Ten, Pac-12. I don't think people necessarily know that, right? I think it's like, oh, there's not a lot of talent there. But then you look at like first round, second round, third round draft, and guys are still going to the NFL. Talent hasn't been a thing. It's just been a perception thing. And now with the seven new quarterbacks from last year to this year via the portal, of course, Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, like at big schools, you look at the league, 10 of the 12 starters out of the 12 teams in the league didn't start their college careers at that school. Stanford and UCLA are the lone two. Tanner McKee and Dorian Thompson Robinson. So I think like the star power, if you will, and then the new coaches and the energy that comes with that, like you get the tail pin or the, you know, the, the, the tailspin of landing in Georgia, obviously Lincoln is a rock star in his own right. Um, Kalen DeBoer had success at Fresno. They get an early win in the season. Like all of a sudden eyes are shifting there. And to me, it's one of those things to your point. Like I think the, the greater college football world call it like game day or whatever. Like, I think they kind of, want the Pac-12 to be good. So now it's like, we're talking about it. We're talking about it. We're talking about it. And, and I love that because I think the talent has been there and now it's been backed up. And to Clint's point of cream rising to the top, there's four teams, right? In this league. I think four teams will be ranked in the top 15 in the initial poll. Chance to get five or six in the top 25. We'll see how that shakes out. Uh, and that is to me, I think where the, the league sits. The fun part will be, was where does the committee evaluate that first game, which you can't ignore, it's part of the resume, it's part of the historical, it's part of whatever. And where do they evaluate it at the end of the season when you got to play nine conference games? Like, look at the run Oregon has. They have to go, uh, this week they go to Cal, which they should get, uh, and then they'll win their next one. And then they get UW at home, Utah at home, and go to rivalry against Oregon State. Like, nobody in the top 15 in the AP poll or the CFP poll will have any type of schedule like that. And that's what I wonder about what the committee will do. That's why I think it's so vital to see what happens Tuesday. Like, where do they see not only Oregon, where do they see the league? And that could be one of those moments where maybe they see it as a little stronger 
than even the AP poll sees it. Like I look at Oregon State. You guys know how I feel about them. I've talked about it before. Their two losses are SC in the last play of the game. Very next week had to go to Utah and they move the ball up and down the field. Off. I wonder if the committee looks at them and says, bowl eligible, six and two, number 24. Like I think those are the little things that are going to impact the argument and the conversation as we keep netting up towards the final playoff conversation. So there it is. I got a lot of stats, but I don't want to bore you with that. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, Pac-12 has five bowl-eligible teams, which I think is pretty cool at this stage. Mm-hmm. Only the SEC and the Big Ten have five currently. And everybody's uh, – they have two more teams. So that's pretty good. It, it, it is a big year for the Pack in that regard. Um, all right. Uh, Texas A&M, some news. Brian Harson uh, has some news just broke that I haven't seen. What do we got going yeah, on? Yeah, I'm I'm confirming it here, but it but it looks like there's a report that Coach Harson. Several reports now that Coach Harson is is reportedly not letting players choose to redshirt. He's either telling them you're going to play or you're going to enter the transfer portal. Mm. <clears throat> is apparently mm. at Auburn. Yes, yeah, at Auburn. All right, Just so let's start there. We, we talked about this last time. I, I don't know if, Clint, you were on that or not. What do we think about that? Like, you sign up to play. Which part of it? About, like, <laughs> should you – if a kid goes into the coach's office and says, hey, coach, I know I've been playing on kickoff return and three of the special teams, whatever, I want to sit it out because I played my four games. Do you think the coach should say, okay, cool? Or should the coach say, hey, we need you to win games. Like, you're part of this team, which I'd imagine is – the dialogue from reading between the lines of what you just told me. Yeah, look, no, I mean, I, I think it's it depends on the relationship that the coach has with that particular player. I think it depends on the the respect level that the team and the players uh, have for that particular coach, um, and and their their relationship. But ultimately, yo, the days of the coach saying, "Hey, you're going to play, or you're going to get the hell out of here." I mean, those days are over. I mean, because the kids can get out of here and not be penalized in any longer. And the coach, like this report, I'm sure it's going to be one more report out of Auburn that, oh, there's no truth to it. It didn't happen. This isn't exactly what, what how it went down. I'm sure it's going to be one of those. When you have when you have dysfunction within the walls of a program, stuff like this happens. And it may or may not be true. But ultimately, who ends up losing is the program. The program ends up getting set back significantly. That used to the coach that was a jackass could last a couple of years longer and just not recruit, right? Play golf instead of recruit, and he could run the program in the ground that way, right? Now, the they're they're if if these ads and these programs don't start responding with a sense of urgency, a coach can run a program in the in the ground in six months. Like, you could lose 15 players. At a place like Auburn, you could lose 15 really good players, half of them maybe starting now, half of them maybe guys that you recruited last year that that think they should be playing. They can bounce on you. So, um, look, I, I, I just think that now more than ever, you've got to have a coach in there that has the respect and has the relationship to, to, to weather the storm and weather adversity and keep players – uh, in the boat with them versus ruling the roost with an iron fist. That's that ain't gonna that ain't gonna cut it. Yeah, I kind of I, I, totally feel you. It's a different game, and you could drive a program into the ground one year and build it back up the next. Right, same argument. Right, with the portal, you mm-hmm. could light it up in NIL, and we got a sweet. Be a hell of a life to live. Yeah, <laughs> no one wants to sign up for that. But what I'm really can. I think what's a fun conversation, right, is we've seen it. Like uh, a player probably on every team in Power 5 football has gone to the coach at some point at this point in the season and said, hey, coach, I played last year, uh, but I don't want to burn my red shirt. I'm probably thinking about transferring. Can I just not play? I played my four games. Coaches to that one player, probably like, yeah, dude, totally. I get it. No break, no biggie. Like I understand the world that we're in, no problem. Now, I don't know the report, and we're not there. But if it ends up becoming like, Six, eight, 12, 15, like you got to feel the team. Like, I, I wonder if a coach is like, whoa, 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 guys, like, this isn't 
we're playing, we're competing. Like you're on the team. And, and that to me, I, again, not knowing what the details are on the report, other than what you said, heck, I, I just wonder, yeah. like that is to me the point where the coach needs to be like, Whoa, dude, let well, that's the other thing too, Yogi. Is like we don't. That, that's why I hate reports like this. And honestly, I know we gotta, we gotta, we gotta talk about them. But we don't know. We don't know the full picture. We don't know exactly what's going on, right? Because I think to, to your point, you can make the argument for both sides. I think Clint made a great argument for one side, and you made a great argument for the other side. You can make an argument for everybody being right here. Um, at the end of the day, you need to see what's going on. And uh, you know, you know me, Yogi. I'm old school, man. Like, I think there's a couple kids probably in each class that a coach will sit there and go, you know what? Yeah. You know, we got plans for you. We'd love you to be here for another year. You're obviously a special teams guy here, but next year we'll see you doing this, this, and this. But the vast majority of those kids that are in that situation, like, just go play while you got it. Like, I, I don't know what to say. Like, if a coach sees you playing on the field, like, go make a difference and make an impact. And Because at the end of the day, you got to earn everything that you get at that level. Um, Transfer portal kind of makes it easier for you to get in and out. But, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I, I see what you're saying with the coach. Like, a place like Auburn right now, you got to find people who want to play. Um, and who want to who want to don that those colors on Saturdays? And if you're having problems with people wanting to wear that jersey and make a difference on the field, then and th that's your that's your scapegoat. Uh, there's there's bigger problems I think than than that. Those 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 po that poison runs deeper than than the locker room. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the locker room. We'll, we'll touch upon that. I'm sure. Field twelve. We'll talk about that tomorrow as more news comes up. If if it does, Texas A and M. I got to be honest, I don't think I've ever read an article like this in college football, right? Three players in the middle of a losing streak, all freshmen, violated team rules. My understanding, tell me if I'm off on this, was that they were, they were doing something in the locker room pregame, right? Are we on the same page? Word, yeah. word on the street is down, I'll say it, hell, Yogi. Word <laughs> on the street is down here in Houston, they were smoking dope in the damn locker room before the game. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm guessing by the look on your face, that's what you heard as well. Yeah. I'm looking at ESPN.com and like, it's not saying those words, um, which I'm sure they're very specifically not saying certain things like that, but yeah, you go on social media and that's what it, that's what it seemingly has come up. That's amazing to me. Like how many locker rooms have every player on that team been in, in their athletic lives? I mean, there's certain things you just can't do in a locker room, in a classroom. And I don't get, <laughs> you can't do them. Yeah. My mind was blown when I saw that. What do we think? Do we think like what, in what world do you think that's okay? I'll tell you where Jimbo Fisher, college station, <laughs> Texas A&M, right? I mean, Look, man. They, they, look, just just look at their just look at their receiver room, their wide receiver room over the last handful of years since Jimbo Fisher's been there. Demas was a receiver that was a five star. That was a six foot five, six foot six, Great. could stand flat footed and do a backflip. Was an absolute monster. He goes up there, gets in trouble with the law two times. Boom, he he ends up getting transferred out of there. Say what you want about Anaya Smith this past offseason, the night before leaving to go to SEC Media Days, gets pulled over with a gun and weed and, and whatever in his car uh, as a team captain, right? Um, you know, that ended up getting dismissed, but but let's be honest, that's another wide receiver. And now you look at it before the Miami game, you got Evan Stewart, a freshman, and the Marshall kid, a freshman, along with the Harris kid that's a freshman defensive back. But I'm talking wide receivers right now. Those two freshmen both get both get um, they have to sit out the, the the Miami game before they play number thirteen in the country after the App State loss at the time, right? And now you fast forward three weeks later, and you've got one of the receivers, Marshall, one of the same kids that's already been suspended once this season. Not only is he getting suspended and having to miss another game, reports are speculation <laughs> that they were literally smoking dope in the locker room before a game. Now that's one position group now. That's all in that's one position group and and about the Demas thing was a couple of years, it was a year, year and a half ago. So um that's a little bit removed. But when it's all said and done, man, um you anybody on the inside up there at, at AM, I mean, Jimbo Fisher is is a, you either coaching it or you're allowing it. And right now, he is in a position where these kids are doing whatever the hell they want to do, whenever they want to do it. And this, I'm with you, Yogi. This is the damnedest thing I've ever heard. If reports are true, 
that that was going on in the locker room before a ball game, who gives a damn if you went out there and got your ass whooped by South Carolina? But it, but it, it's happening in a locker room before a ball game. Jimbo Fisher has lost all control of, of that program. And again, another one of those organizations, another one of them programs that all in five stars in that record-setting recruiting class last year, who it ain't like the old days, Jimbo. Them boys can bounce in a hurry now. Hack, 30 seconds, go. Yeah, listen, I, I think Clint Clint said it. I, I To me, it starts at the top. Um I can't you can't you can't say much about it. It starts at the top. That that's that stuff wouldn't fly uh in a Nick Saban locker room. That stuff wouldn't fly in a uh in a Dabo Sweeney locker room. And that's what that's what Jimbo's been been tasked with becoming. And he hasn't he hasn't gotten there. And there's a lot of angry AM folk who's gonna who are gonna be forking some money up to get his buyout paid at the end of the year. Yeah, there's not a lot of high school locker rooms that would happen. And accountability, I think, is a phrase that sometimes we forget about in college athletics. But as we started, we will go right to where we began. We still love this game. Remember the great moments amid all the news that will be in your Twitter feed over the next 24 hours. Thanks for the time. Thanks for listening. Check it out on the SiriusXM app. For the crew, Clint, Hack, Yogi Rock. Rock.